You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Mento, and with me, as always, is my courageous, exciting eye candy, Doug Draper. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. Um... Coming to you in, in my very bla- uh, bland, I'm looking behind me now, and uh, yeah, it is 6, 16 a.m. In, um, in the great town of Fresno, Colorado. And Pete, I had to get into makeup and get my hair dialed in this morning, so I've been up since like 4.30 a.m. to make yeah. this show happen. That's how dedicated we are to our to uh, our listeners. Being pretty is not easy, Doug. I know. It takes work. It takes work, yeah. buddy. But thank yeah. you for putting the effort in uh, for the show today. I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the parking lot. Like this guy, our, our security guy, I'm like, is the alarm turned off? Because if, if I walk in there and this place goes berserk, I'm not sure what to do. So I'm in the parking lot trying to figure out how to get in. Nobody is here. Um, but, uh, you know, global trade must uh, must forge on. So trade never sleeps, Doug. Trade never sleeps. Trade never sleeps. Uh, that should be our new tagline. Well, that, you know what? We'll ask Keenan to stick that in the show somewhere. Trade never sleeps. I like it. Trade never sleeps and neither do we. Mm-hmm. Not, not at Global Trade this week. Far too much happening in the world for us to ever take a break, Doug. Yeah, yeah. exactly. My sarcasm has not dripped through that last line. Yeah. But uh, we've got some great topics this week. Uh, lots happened. And I wanted you to go ahead and kick it off. Awesome. Well, I'm going to kick off... Um, with a thank you this morning, I was you and I were down at the Tapa um, conference last last week in Boca. It was great. So a couple things: the concept of old people in Florida during the winter it is one hundred percent accurate. I walked into a restaurant and pulled the median age down quite a bit. Um, uh, but the other thing, speaking of, of Tapa again, appreciate Cindy Rosen for making it all happen. But the one thing, Pete, I was new to the event. You're not is the collaboration people are not trying to sell each other with their services or position or angling or whatever it was true partnership because you know cargo security and cargo crime's a big deal and affects us all so it was uh noticeable on my front which makes it a good conference and so uh shout out to those to those folks it was good i enjoyed that tap, tap of rules dude and yeah, they're good. so supportive of the show so supportive of us i, I can't say enough and i go to most of the TAPA events every year. I've been to a couple overseas as well. They are spectacular. So if you are involved in any way with cargo security, CTPAT, AEO, you need to get engaged with TAPA. You need to get your company to be a member and do everything you can to embrace all the things that they do to make it, make it a more secure supply chain around the world. They're, they're yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, Pete, trade never sleeps. Trade never sleeps. Trade never sleeps. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to give that shout out but the topic we spoke about it, we did a live show on stage, which I think was pretty well received. But so I'm going to take a uh, a little page from that. And the, the, the two things is that, number one, any statistic that you hear about cargo theft, just assume it's going to be much higher. The reality is much greater because people and companies are, and this sounds crazy, but this is human nature, embarrassed, right, that um, their stuff may have been tampered with, compromised or stolen. No offense to insurance people, but the fact that you have to pay insurance and premiums and the potential impact, uh, some of the minor uh, theft goes up un- unreported. 
So, um, but the big thing there, Pete, is that all of the cool technology, when you and I have been talking about the digitation and the artificial intelligence and how it's going to, you know, move documents quicker and, and automate things. The crazy thing is that the bad guys are engaging with that as well. And, and the one piece I wanted to, to share with, uh, with the audience is that um, the concept of let's wait for a trailer to be parked at this certain location and let's hijack it is certainly still out there. But the next level of that with strategic cargo theft and the ability to monitor, monitor what's going on and change and manipulate documents is, is unbelievable. I mean, literally, Pete, there are nerds in basements working the system like a video game, yeah. right? You can fake somebody's identity. You can go in there with a bogus truck and all the documents you can forge through technology. You pick that up. And then the, the interesting thing is they blend it in, right? The movement of the cargo from point A to point B, there's enough true, honest to goodness, law-abiding carriers that are grabbing the freight. So they'll pick it up with a carrier that's had their identity stolen, and then they'll move it to a dock and transload it, potentially splitting the cargo. And the folks that are taking those that split cargo from the cross dock are legit people. And how do they know? They're just getting documentation and email traffic and direction from fictitious made-up um, 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 communication. And it's just some kid working a computer, right? And so they've created, and then those two, they split the cargo and they may take it to a dock. Oh my gosh, this is a redelivery, or we need you to take it to a different dock where that is fraudulent. And so the pervasiveness of this and the technology is enabling it to happen more and more. And so that's a chase and a ghost. That's not some people or a group of people that are waiting for a truck uh, to park to get hijacked this is like a whole nother level and the technology is getting better and better and better and one of the breakout sessions was just about how you how they can manipulate our voices right so you can yeah. have conversations with people that you may know that sounds exactly like the person that's providing directions and it's all being controlled by fraudulent people and and it's it, it's crazy and the thing about that because they're this is my last point pete is that because they're engaging Honest, hardworking carriers, if the shit goes down, they can just cut the tie and they can sever the communication path that they've created and they just walk away. You know, it's kind of like a, in, you know, an Ocean's Eleven movie where they're just like the gigs up. Let's just, you know, walk away from the situation and nobody knows any different. So I was um, concerned um, that this is happening. I mean, it's, it, it's a big deal and it's going to get. Worse and worse, maybe the right word, but the technology that you and I are stoked about that's going to make life easier for the good, um, uh, the good of the industry and everything else. It's the bad guys are still using it, and it seems like they're always one step ahead. Um, and so, cargo theft is increasing. There's all kinds of statistics, but it, it's uh, pervasive and it's not going away. And the technology that's helping us is also helping the bad guys out there. And it was eye opening uh, to the level of what's happening. Yep. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things I wanted to mention about that. You know, our good friend, my good friend, uh, Nate White, had that whole presentation about AI. Yeah. And the incredible, I'm almost uncomfortable ability. It made me feel real creepy, you know, that someone could take all these 
free tools essentially and do the things that that he showed us creating fake pictures creating fake documents creating voices like you said um videos right just how easy it was he he made me feel like you and I could hang out in the basement and probably pull off a hell of a cargo theft <laughs> yeah. using a bunch of, you know, free tools. And we're not the most technologically savvy cats in the world, right? So that yeah. that freaked me out. And the second one was, you know, the statistic that kept getting thrown around, cargo theft is up 56% over last year, 56%. And name another part of our industry where you can say like 50 I don't even think rates are down that much, are they? You know, like that's a massive number and how that's not on the front page of the JOC every week or American Chipper. Or, it was it was an incredible number. And those guys, those men and women that were at TAPA, you know, the stories that they'll tell in public, the stories that they'll tell people in confidence, they're incredible. The level of sophistication, the level of creativity that's being used by the bad guys mm-hmm. is, is so advanced. The the work you have to do to stay a step ahead. And what I loved about TAPA, what I love about PCSE, what I love about HDA is they know that they're stronger together and collectively they can probably get a step up on the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked a bit about Cynthia, Cynthia Hetherington, who is one of my top 10 favorite people in the entire earth, regardless of our industry, the work that she does on dealing with the dark web and and working through social media and using technology to uncover really horrible things. There are good people out there that are doing the things that need to be done in order to try to make the supply chain more safe. And the last thing I'll say is, um, there's a gentleman who is, he is pivotal, right? To cargo security. His name is Chuck Forsyth. He's at HDA. He, uh, I give him a lot of grief. I do, but it's because we're, we're very old friends and the, the things that he's seen, the relationships he has, bringing everyone together, you know, for PCSE and being able to sort of be that that pivot where everyone can reach out to him to get help. And he's he's just a non-judgmental connector of people. And really, that was the most impressive thing that I saw, which, whether it was law enforcement, service providers or shippers. Everybody was there to not just collaborate, but to share ideas and to look for ways in the future to work with each other in case something happened. They're not going to be victimized. It's, it's, it, we need more of this, whether it's trade, compliance, transportation. We need to find ways to collaborate because if we do, we're going to make this a much better industry. Yeah, agreed. All right, man. What's your topic one? Yeah, topic one is a, a continuation of another, of another conversation that we had. I got to pull up the name of the, of the vessel. You know, last week, there was a Norwegian flagship. Uh, it was called the Strinda that was attacked in the Red Sea. And this is a bit of a, of a, of a diversion from what we had seen before, where it was only Israeli-owned vessels that were being attacked by the Houthis. Now, all trade is probably going to be affected. This has nothing to do with the nation state of Israel. It has nothing to do with Israeli ownership. It has nothing to do with any of that. They just went after a ship that happened to be, you know, approachable and they could do something about. I, I can't stress enough the geopolitical backlash that could come from continued attacks on these vessels in this particular part of the world and what it could mean for insurance, what it could mean for rates if people feel it's just too dangerous to transit that, that part of the world, and what it's going to mean for shipping times. You, you cut 
you cut the time from Europe to Asia in half and back and forth by using that, that canal. And if we decide it's just too dangerous, it's going to jack up rates, it's going to jack up transit times, and it's going to have a real negative impact on our industry as a whole, particularly about predictability. Um, and, and it's cheap to do. Doesn't take a lot of work to try to be a nasty person and, and attack one of these vessels. We have to do something as a global community to put more security in that particular part of the area. And it can't just be the United States. I know the French are sending ships now, as are the British, but it's going to take a lot more than that to secure that sea lane, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think under the um, guise of the Israeli war, the Ukraine war, what's going on there, I think that there's... Um, uh, you know the bad actors, so to speak, are yeah. using that, right? Like, like you said at the very beginning, is does it is it directly affected to the war? Indirectly, because it's like, hey, look over here, look what's going on while I'm while I'm you know taking this this uh, this cargo theft. So I, I don't know why people. We spoke about this on a previous show. Directing traffic into it, it's almost like like sitting ducks. You know, we had some we had some talk where where folks because of the Panama Canal. And the weather situation and the locks slowing down and you got to get in line. And if you don't book an appointment, you know, like a fancy restaurant in downtown L.A., you're not getting in. And so people are like, screw that. We're just going to, um, you know, give it a shot and go through the Suez Canal. And so it's almost like sitting ducks to some degree. And, and the, the folks that are not going to participate, I'll tell you what, their transit times are going to increase. And the predictability that you made mention of. Give me visibility. Let me understand what my cargo is, and I can manage it. The unknown and what's going on um, is is what is super detrimental. So, the the redirection of those vessels, the longer transit, uh, will certainly have a ripple effect. Um, and I think it'll ripple effect all the way down to, to you and I as consumers. Yeah, it's a it's an industry that that craves predictability. We need it. It's a big part of this on time stuff. What, what really gets me about these attacks is. You know, they, they teach you in their national relations classes, a terrorist or a rogue state just has to not lose. They just have to not lose. If, if they win, great. But if they can continue to get someone to keep taking them seriously and continue that war to go on, all it's going to do is create more people trying to fight on their side and they can continue to pester the shipping lanes. And this is a great example of that. It's just some drones and time and very little expense. And you can continue to lay waste to one of the most important trade lanes in the world with devastating economic effect without a whole lot of money and a whole lot of people. Yeah. Uh, I think we're a little too comfortable and a little too confident in just how secure global trade is, Paul. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that brings us to halftime um, brought to us by Cap Logistics. Uh, again, I always say that you and I wouldn't have the soapbox and the fun time to get together every week without those guys. So visit caplogistics.com when you can to learn more about those services. So, Pete, I like your topic. Um, it's Anyway, let her rip. Yeah. So we're starting to see the Cybertruck from Tesla. It's out. People are, are receiving their, their copies of them, their versions of them. Uh, all over social media. So, so trucks are a special kind of, of car freak. And being a Texan living in New Hampshire as well, I can tell you, I know a lot of people that are super into trucks and into modifying them, making them faster, making them bigger, all those things. Um, the Cybertruck has become a polarizing vehicle amongst that particular sect of folks. There are people who 
for whatever reason, political um, aesthetics, they hate the thing. They hate it. And then there's video after video of it just smoking Ford Lightnings and all these other modified cars. I mean, just destroying them. And I guess the really fast ones aren't even out yet. So um, what's your take on the Cybertruck, Doug? Do we like it? Do we not like it? I, I don't like it for aesthetic reasons and because I have a hard time thinking I'd be able to put, you know, 500 pounds of cow shit in the back of it and feel like that's what it was made for. So yeah. for me, it doesn't feel like a pickup truck. It feels like something that Elon wants to make sure we have for Mars. Yeah. Oh, 100% agree. The practicality of that truck is almost zero. And I, I think what's going to happen is if you see it, you're going to be like, that, that guy or gal in that truck is an asshole, right? <laughs> is they're, just, they're, they're just throwing money so they can have the latest and greatest, right? I get it's fast. I've seen the video when it was launched uh, last week when Musk yeah. was up there, you know, um, uh, ch channeling his Steve Jobs um, uh, best efforts. But yeah, I don't get it. You know, it's ah, it's the practicality is zero. The aesthetic value, as you said, is zero. And I don't know who would purchase it um, unless you're just trying to show off in some statement. Hence my comment about the driver a second ago. Yeah, well, well Doug, to be fair, uh, and I say this a lot about Teslas and Polestars and all these electric, I don't think they're being marketed and designed for guys like you and I. Yeah. I think they're being marketed and designed for another generation and what they want to see in cars. You know, the interior is so stark and unappealing to me. It doesn't feel like something that my grandfather would drive around with, you know, with a loaded pistol and a bottle of whiskey in the seat next to him. It's just not, it's not, it's not a truck that a farmer would want. And, you know, we have those sorts of routes. So I think it's, it's for, you know, it's for these guys that buy that Lamborghini SUV and for people who are buying those sorts of cars. I love the Rivian truck. It looks like a truck and yeah. it, it drives fast and it's comfortable, um, but it still has the practicality of a regular bed and all that stuff. So but I, I don't think they're being made for us. Tesla, and you and I have disagreed about this too. I, I, I'm blown away at the technology and the things that they can do. But from an aesthetic standpoint, I'm still a car guy. And I want my car to look like something, you know, sexy and tough and, and, and sometimes scary. Uh, and these, these trucks and these cars, they just don't, which is why I'm not there yet. Now, put one of those engines in a 911 or, you know, slap one of those bad boys in a big Dodge Ram 1500. We can have a talk. Yeah, yeah. we can have a talk. Yeah, I don't expect any shotgun racks in the back of the window. Someone's going to do it, buddy. Somebody in Austin, somebody in Texas is absolutely going to put a gun rack in the back of their cyber truck. I'm going to search the Internet for that because someone probably already has. Yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Well, I came across this, Pete, when I was joking with you guys. Uh, when I'm out here in Fresno, I seem to watch a lot of uh, Fox and Friends when I come out here. And there was a comment made the other day about this um, new republic. Now, it's not new, but there's this republic outside of Reno. Uh, it's called Molassia. Never heard of it. It's been around since 1977. Um, it's a sovereign, independent nation within the territory of the United States. You know, is it a real place? It is like 11.3. I'm looking at some of the stuff right now. I'm talking to you. 11.3 acres, right? Um, it's in Southern um, California. Well, it's it's kind of right outside the border of, uh, of, of Reno on the uh, Nevada side. Um, you can't become a citizen because uh, there's no more room, 
right? Um, you can't be a full resident. They don't pay taxes, but they provide a donation to the uh, a, a nation state of the United States. So they kind of are paying taxes. There's one guy, which is quite a character. Um, I think they have a population at like 11 plus two dogs. And it is like in the middle of nowhere. There's no paved streets. It's it, it's like a compound out in the middle of nowhere. And they th there was a press release they did a couple months ago where they just raised money to repair their railroad system. And they got a picture of it. And it's a freaking model train. Right? <laughs> <laughs> If you go to molassia.org, right, because um, it's not a .gov, it's a .org. But so not only is molassia kind of kind of strange, but it reaffirms the fact that people in Northwest Nevada are whack jobs, right? And, and there, I, I apologize. But Pete, as you know, I'm usually in a collared shirt, but since it's so early in the morning, you know, of the two of us who's been to Burning Man, it was me. And that whole Burning Man is just right up there in the Black Rock Desert in the whole nine yards. But it's a whole nother world out there in, in Northwest Nevada. And when I saw this thing on Malassia, I was like, yep, if there's one place that that, place, that that fits the United States, that's exactly where it is. Because, I don't know, there's a magnet or a draw to some strange people that want to move there. So anyway, Molassia.org, it's a shout out. So maybe I can be an ambassador and get paid maybe. zero dollars. Yeah. Uh, so this this cracks me up, Doug. And what's unfortunate, pal, I have had to do a lot of research about this because many of these countries have tried to establish themselves as free trade zones. And, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of questions about taxation for for highly dutiable goods and selling them out of there. Uh, I had a friend of mine at grad school in Harvard who was a member of the. Um, Iroquois Nation, who did his master's degree thesis on whether or not the Iroquois Nation could act as a sovereign nation with regards to trade and have their own free trade agreements. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, it it's madness. But if you if you have time today, everybody, Wiki, right? So Wikipedia, go Google the list of micronations. There are hundreds. Hmm. They're all over the place. One of my favorites is the nation of Sealand, which is basically an oil rig, uh, abandoned oil platform off the coast, I think, of the United Kingdom. If you're ever on TikTok or, or Instagram or Facebook and you see become a Duke, become a Duchess, become a Prince, right? They do that. So for, for a, a donation, they will make you part of their monarchy. Um, and they do, they, they issue passports, but I don't believe anyone accepts them. Like, I don't yeah. think, I think if you and I flew to, um, you know, to Mexico for the weekend, they wouldn't take our Sealand passport. Um, but yeah, the list is ridiculous. And some of my favorite names, pal, um, the Grand Duchy of Avram, which is uh, off the coast of Australia, or it's in Australia. It was made basically as a tax dodge for one person. I mean, you got to love that. Yeah. The province of B Bumbunga, alarmed by the possibility of Australia becoming a republic, a monarchist declared his farm in Bumbunga, South Australia, as an independent state loyal to the crown of Great Britain. Like the reasons for why people did this are one of them. He, he wanted to be a, um, a polygamist. So he created his own nation. These wow. are just hysterical. Spend some time today reading about them and, and, uh, and where they are. It will make you question humanity that there are so many of these micro nations all over the world. Bob. Yeah. 
Yeah, I could see the, uh, the the passport thing. It's one of those sketch artists that you have at Disney where they show up and your kids sit in a chair and they just scratch out their uh, silhouette in like 45 yeah. seconds. Yeah, That's what the passport looks like in those micronations. Yeah, so. oh, these are hysterical. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for halftime for us. So I guess we'll go on to the next topic, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, so the next topic is uh, a new service that um, Walmart uh, came out with, and it's referred to as a parcel station, right? Um, and they're testing it in 40 or 50 stores. And when I first saw this, I'm like, that's cool. It's a it's a mini post office where you can buy your stuff that you don't really need and, and mail it off to uh, to your niece or nephew. And so you buy it, you walk 20 feet, and you ship it out. So I had the uh, the initial concept completely wrong. It's it's literally a, a depot and a drop off point. So uh, if you order product, the whole concept, Pete, is to get the final mile delivery as fast as possible. Um, so it may take a day from a DC to get to that store, but they can pull it in from that uh, a parcel station and using their network of independent and and, uh, and drivers like you and I to uh, to make that final delivery. You know within you know, hours, sometimes within 30 minutes. And so the whole concept of getting the final mile closer to the end consumer, um, Walmart is in, embracing it. They're aggressively going after it. So there's 40, it's in the usual markets, you know, the big city markets, Southern California and, and Dallas and Atlanta and those kind of things. So I like it. it. It shows that the consumer has morphed from, hey, I like being a prime member because I can get free two-day shipping to just expediting quicker and quicker and quicker and the demand and the expectation to have that final mile and the instant gratification of buying the crap that you don't really need um, is is prevalent and Walmart's embracing it and I'll give them a little bit I'll give them a little shout out that you know it's it's not necessarily novel to, to, to have a drop zone in a Walmart store so you're closer to your end consumer but I get it and they're actually trying it and and they're approaching it a little bit differently so Anyway, it caught my attention. I thought I wanted to bring it up on today's show. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to start my comments by saying simply, I will never bet against Walmart, ever, ever. Yeah. They, they have this massive footprint. They have a, uh, a continued history of blazing success when it comes to the retail industry. And I think that people sleep on them when they come up with innovation, and that will be to their detriment. So in this particular instance, first of all, Doug, I'm shocked you didn't come up with some acronym like BOPUS for this. <laughs> I was thinking about it. And yeah. I'm like, I'm not going to come up with some half-ass acronym. It's got to be powerful. And so I did think about it and I couldn't come up with a good one. Yeah. Um, every every e-commerce company, Amazon, Wayfair, Alibaba, they all want physical retail. And it's it's so expensive to do it. It's hard to establish yourself. Walmart has it. And I think this is an extension to the fact of focusing on what they're better at than their competition and using that as a lever to continue to grow in that market of e-commerce. And I think eventually it's going to turn into, you know, you and I are, are at a Walmart, you know, picking up, I don't know, fish and lures and bait or whatever. And remember that our daughter wanted something and be able to say, I'm going to buy this here. I see it. I physically see it, you know, shopping with that, that tactile feel. And then being able to turn that into a fast final mile delivery the next day for that other person. So it's shopping in person, but delivering it in, a, in an e-commerce fashion to someone else. I think that's going to be something that Walmart's going to do better than practically anybody else. 
Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So I like your comment about never, never bet against Walmart. It's yeah. kind of like no, nobody ever got fired by an IBM. Right. <laughs> yeah, um, they've got the money and they've got the footprint to do some real damage. And I think this is this is a great salvo and that continued war with Amazon. Yeah, cool. All okay, right, brother, bring, bring us home. Second topic. I was excited last year. I'm excited this year. The UN's report on uh, global trade from the Department of uh, the Conference on Trade and Development, UNCTAD. Love it. Yeah. Um, they've come out with their established analysis for next year and guidelines. Statistically, you got to read the whole thing, folks. You got to read the whole thing. All right. You got to sit down, I guess, I don't know, take an Adderall if you have to, drink some coffee, but you got to read the whole thing. And there was a real mistake that's being made with the press. So the press is saying global trade is probably going to contract 5% next year. That is terrifying, Doug, right? Just 5% is like, Whoa. And for, for this usual sunshine and roses and puppy dog kisses group to say 5%, that's big. If they would have said one or two, we'd been like, oh, but five? Wow. But the, the lead that they buried is that services will be down around 3%, but goods will be down around 8 So So UNCTAD is, uh, you know, they're, they're saying that we can expect global trade in goods to be 8% down globally. Doug, that's incredible. That's incredible. And, and these are people that almost always sandbag their numbers. They almost always under, um, under predict where they think they're going to go. I will not be surprised if the global um, goods uh, expansion is 10% or higher next year based on that. And uh, I mean, we all know it's bad, but I think 2024 may go down in our lifetime as one of the worst years for global trade. Mm. Wow, that's a bold, a bold statement. And um, first of all, when you said untag, I thought you sneezed and I was about to say gesundheit. Gesundheit. But, um, yes. You know, we, we've talked about this in the past is that the economy, the world economy is two things, goods and services. And during COVID, goods went berserk, right? And we always use the Peloton as the example. Yep. People were buying stuff, right? And then when, when the uh, pandemic broke, people wanted to have the experience economy. They wanted to go out to dinner. They wanted to take the, the vacation that got canceled. And my personal take on it, Pete, is that people are like, that's pretty good way to live your life. And going to visit family or taking experiences and going places, it's impacting. It's meaningful to individuals not to go down a uh, uh, a touchy-feely point here, but I think what we're seeing to some degree is consumers are like, I don't need that thing that I was going to buy and stick in the corner that I that I uh, put in the garage sale the next uh, the next summer. But they're saying experiences and and the service economy and, and and having those type of things has value mentally has value and all the crap that that uh, we buy that we don't need that you so elo eloquently say time and again. I think that's uh, th this is a tangible reflection of that. I agree. Yeah, and it's a, a manifestation of it. I think also the no matter what anyone says, the amount of inventory still sitting in warehouses is is problematic. Mm -hmm. So I think this is the year we start seeing fire sales on retail with a down economy, with people's credit just jacked up, and there's not a lot of money that's going to be floating around on the credit side, and creditors a little unwilling or a little tentative to give out more credit to consumers. So you're gonna have to see prices come down. Uh, and hey, 
hey, you know, inflation just went up 0.1%. That's all over the month before. So I guess everything's better, Doug. Well, I guess yeah. life is good. Life is good. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up. So um, one thing, Pete, that we spoke about is that next week is the 2024 prediction show. We're going to drop that. We're going to be back in the saddle. So we're going to do that on Monday. Um, last year, you had like nine predictions and I had three. Right. So we'll have to. Uh, um, that means I hedge my bets. So I'm not as wrong if my predictions don't happen. But I'm excited about it. I already got a couple things noodling around. So the prediction show for 2024, everybody, happens next week. We hope you tune in. And we appreciate you tuning in this week and all weeks to, to listen to our show and our banter. Yeah. Uh, we, we wouldn't be here without without our listeners. So, you know, Doug, you, you, your, couple of, your couple of predictions against my crap tons of predictions. Yeah. The best way I can describe this is you're like Peyton Manning. Okay. You're, you're, you're going you're gonna to take the low percentage, safe ones out there feel real confident in them and you're not going to be a gunslinger. I am Brett Favre. I'm going to spray the field like a psychopath with every yeah. idea that I've got. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm your Brett Favre against your Peyton Manning here. Um, granted Peyton Manning is, you know, definitely had a, well, let's face it. Who was more fun to watch? Who was more fun to watch, buddy? The maniac. And I'm going to bring some crazy crap next week. You guys just wait. All right. Good oh, one more thing. One more yeah. thing. For our listeners, there is a movie on Netflix called um, um, Oh, just give me a second. Just give me a second, folks. This is going to be worth it, I promise you. Um, it is called Hold on, hold on. I think I know leave, the movie. Leave, I think I know the movie. Leave the World Behind. Yeah. Now, I know I know that I give a lot of movie recommendations, but all of you have Netflix. You can watch it at home. It's a solid 90 minutes, no problem. But if you want to know why I don't sleep a lot and have like explosive diarrhea over cargo <laughs> security and cybercrime, check this movie out. It is probably one of the best done from a visual perspective. Explanations of what would happen if we had a catastrophic cyber event that you're ever going to see. And if you don't want to run out and start buying canned peaches and ammo after watching this thing, you're not paying enough attention. Yeah. So leave the world behind. Julia Roberts, Kevin Bacon, uh, Ethan Hawke, fantastic film. Yeah. And I think uh, Obama had something to do with it, right? He's a producer. Yeah, he's a producer, or... which means that he just put that on. They put his name on it as part of his, what is it, $50 million Netflix deal that he had. So him and, him and Michelle are both on it. Nice. Good deal. Good way to end the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next week on 2024 Predictions. All right, Pete. Take care, my man. Peace, buddy. All right. See you.